Brethren, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that temple you get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. For when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, have no fear. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. 
He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they entered the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to Father and all of the minions and chaperones who were on their way to and have now come back from St. Nicholas Ranch. When Father asked me to give the sermon today because he was going to be traveling all week and having no time to prepare, um, I read over the gospel and immediately it reminded me um, It made a connection with me with something that I'd been reading in this wonderful book, The Hidden Man of the Heart, by our commander Zacharias. Um, It seems now that almost all the time when I give the homily, um, I find myself referring to some of the words of Father Zacharias. So today I will attempt to share a few passages um, from this book and hopefully make some sense of them to you and, and make some sense of some of the things that I've been reading and perhaps share them with you. So uh, hold on to your seats. I don't know exactly how this is going to come out. I never really do. Um, but I hope that it challenges you and that I hope that it speaks to your heart. Why are we all here? Why are you here? I would like you to take a moment and just answer that question to yourselves. All of you, young and old, why are you here? What have you come for today? I'll be quiet while you think of your answer. We're not going to share. Of course, many of us today have come for many reasons. Some of us have come because, well, our parents made us. We didn't have a choice. Some of us came because, well, it's just what we do. This is what Orthodox Christians do on Sundays, and that's what we do. It's an obligation. We have to. There's no choice. We don't think about it. We just do it. And yet, even though that may be true for some of you, for many of us, we came with a hope, and we came with an expectation. We came expecting to meet Christ because it is in the divine liturgy where we most tangibly experience the kingdom of God. We expect that we are going to meet Christ and by being here and receiving the grace of this service, we know that we are going to grow closer to Christ. We are going to fulfill the purpose of our life which is to be united with Him and to grow ever more like into His likeness. We 
know that if we can grasp what is going on in this liturgy, that we will be healed and that we can be transformed. So all of us who here are seeking these things today, well, you have come to the right place. As I said, this is the place where we most tangibly experience God. And yet, if you are like me, and I suspect that at least some of you are, you have not been in the liturgy the whole time, even though we've been here a short time, but we have been struggling with our thoughts. Or maybe not struggling with our thoughts. I know that even when I'm in the midst of my petitions, stray thoughts come from without, and sometimes those thoughts take my attention. I, I guess I'll see a show of hands. How many of you have ever had stray thoughts during the liturgy? It was only about half of you. Okay, that's good. So now we know that we're in the company of very holy people. But most of us truly are struggling. We know that it is best for us to stay with our mind present in the liturgy. And yet I would say that on a good day, I won't give you a percentage, but it's not a very high percentage my mind is able to stay here. It's because we live in our heads. So we have done what we can to be here today. We come with hope and expectation. For some of us, just getting here was a monumental accomplishment. Thank God that you are all here. But we have one more thing that we need to do, and that thing starts before we get here. It starts in our daily life. We need to practice getting out of our heads. We spend so much time thinking, planning, organizing, solving problems, thinking, 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 thinking. And when it comes time to say our prayers at home, what are we doing? Thinking. We're trying to pray and we struggle through our prayers, but it is our thoughts that are always coming. And we pray and we pray through our thoughts. But somehow we, if we want to really grasp all these good things that we came expecting today, we need to get out of our heads and into our hearts. Because all of these things, unity with Christ, our faith, these are matters of the heart. Now by heart, Father Zacharias often uses the term, he used the term deep heart. And of course you've heard other teachers teach that there is a word in Greek called the noose which is sometimes translated, um, sadly, mind, and sometimes translated as heart. But it's problematic because we think of our head, what's our brains, where we think, that's our mind. And we think of our heart, well, that's where our emotions are. This is something different. We're talking about our deep heart. That is, that place that God created for us to encounter Him. The very center of our being. The center of our soul. We understand ideas with our heads. We solve problems with our heads. But we grasp and apprehend the truth with our hearts. And our truth is Jesus Christ, our God. There's nothing wrong with thinking. Not at all. Our faith 
is a very rational faith. It very much requires our thinking and our knowledge. Our intellect, the mind, is a God-given capacity that we are to use for Him. But our problem is that we are disjointed. That our minds are separated from our hearts. And this is not the way it's meant to be. Our minds are meant to be centered in our hearts. Our minds are meant to be tethered to our hearts. And that we are to live in that unity of personhood before God. And then we can live in that continual remembrance of Christ. We hear that taught by the fathers, this continual remembrance of Christ, and we don't know what that means. We don't understand how that is possible. Because in our modern world, this modern world, which seems to be completely designed and driven by distractions, we have become separated. We've become uh, disjointed. We don't see and understand the full connection between our mind, our intellect, and our deep heart. It is only when we center our minds and our hearts that we can know and experience Christ as He wants. Some of the fathers say that our job is to drop anchor, to have our mind drop anchor in our hearts. We have become so separated that we think of ourselves as having a life and having a spiritual life. And sometimes, well, we've got life, that's going on all the time, and then we step away from our life so that we can enjoy our spiritual life. But our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to integrate those. In a quote of Father Zacharias in this book I was telling you about, he says, The purpose of all of our labors as Christians is the retrieval of the heart. The heart must emerge from the thick layer of the dirt of the passions that the mind may seek it anew. Whatever your task of obedience in the church, whatever labor we undertake for the church, all of these should contribute to the finding of our heart. It is our essential role as Christians to uncover our hearts and to try as best we are able. This is our work. This is the work of the spiritual person, to unite our minds to our hearts so that we can operate in unity in our persons. St. Gregory Palamas calls the heart the place where the kingdom is manifested. Our commander Zechariah says, Therefore, it is no small thing to establish our mind in the presence of God. We would do well, then, to direct our efforts towards going inwards and establishing ourselves in our deep heart. Now you're probably wondering how on earth this connects to the gospel today. But as soon as I read the gospel, I saw how Peter exemplifies this for us. So if I take you back to the gospel, we're at the drama that's happening on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. An incredible miracle. I can imagine the disciples were reeling. And at the end of the day, very end of the day, the people are sent away by Christ, and he goes up to the mountain to pray, and he tells his disciples, get into the boat and go to the other side. We don't know what they said, but they must have said, what? How are you going to get to the other side? But their purpose was to obey their Lord. 
So they get into the boat and they start across. Jesus comes down to the sea and he sees somehow that they are many furlongs off, that they are somewhere halfway through the big lake and the wind is against them. So they've been toiling all night long and trying to get to the other side. So they're rowing this boat. Now it does not say that they're afraid. They've just been toiling all night long. Now it is surprising and amazing to me that they didn't just turn the boat around and say, Jesus, we couldn't do it. The wind was against us. Can we just start in the morning? And we got to pick you up anyway. But no. The Father say that this is to show us that our obedience to Christ is difficult. It requires commitment. It requires a, a perseverance that is often hard for us. Now, they already knew that he had the power over wind and waves. They are paddling across. They're struggling to obey their Lord. It doesn't say they're afraid until they see Christ walking on the waves. And they see Christ and they are terrified. And they cry out in fear. They don't know what it is. They think, it's, they think he's a ghost. And Jesus says to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. And Peter, in his zeal and love for Christ, says, If it is you, tell me to come to you. Now tell me, did he say that from his head, or did he say it from his heart? He so loved the Lord. He so wanted to be. They thought it was a ghost. So he speaks to the ghost and says, If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. How illogical is this? And yet with his heart and his great desire for the Lord, he jumps into the sea and starts walking on the water to Christ. And then, apparently, his mind kicks in and he goes, wait a minute, I'm walking on water. This is not possible. These waves are crazy. This is dangerous. And though I'm a fisherman, I may not know how to swim that well from the deep middle of a lake. So, well... He has his eyes fixed on Christ. While he's reaching out to him with his heart, he's walking on water. Something that is unheard of. And yet when he begins, he separates himself and goes back to his head and he begins to say, I can't do this. And when he says that, he can't. And he sings. And he calls out to Christ, Lord, save me. And Christ reaches out to him and pulls him up. Likewise, we are always reaching out to Christ. We desire more. We desire something deeper. And yet we see the wind. We see the realities and the challenges of our life. All these responsibilities and all these cares take our attention. Our attention is taken off of Christ. And we look at our spiritual lives and we say, I don't have time for that. I can't do that now. And we begin to sink. We find ourselves in our minds sometimes very far from God. Very far from the ideal to remember Christ always. What if we could keep our minds in our hearts? Or what if at least more often we could spend time with our minds and connected to our hearts, anchored in our hearts, so that we were operating fully as one. Our commander, Zacharias, says to us, 
One of the mysteries revealed to us by the word of Christ is that of the kinship between the heart of man and the presence of God. And therefore, a sure path to discovering and establish ourselves in the deep heart lies in the meditation of the word of God and the invocation of the name of God. It is said by the witness of the Holy Spirit, which is received on the day of Pentecost, that there is no other name under which men are given to be saved. Moreover, we read in the second epistle of the Corinthians that the Word of God must dwell in us richly in our heart and bring all our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. What we can do to unite better our minds and our hearts is to be meditating on Scripture, to have the Word of God dwelling in us richly. Not just uh, once in a while we read the daily readings, but to be studying and examining the Scriptures, taking the Scriptures serious, so that when we encounter issues in the world, we have the words of Christ in our minds. And second, we must invoke the name of Christ. Elder Sophroni is quoted as saying, Commonly, keep your mind firmly fixed on God. Paraphrasing other fathers. How else can we keep our mind fixed on God but through the invocation of the name of Christ? Elder Sophroni says, By fixing our mind on the name of God, we live in the presence of His person. Our commander Zacharias adds one more thing. Both meditation on Christ's word and the invocation of his name are perfected in and when we partake of the holy body and the blood of Christ. It is said in the Gospel of John that unless we eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God, we cannot have life in us. So he says to emphasize and to summarize, the keys to open the door of our deep heart are meditating on the teaching of the Gospel, calling on the name of the Lord, and partaking of the sacrament of of Holy Communion. All three of these are keys that release the energy contained in our deep heart. The energy that is the grace that we received in our baptism. Now forgive me, but I've just given you another to-do list. And I've said this is the way that somehow we can go from our minds to our hearts and unify our persons. Oh, if it were just that easy. And most of us know that just to do these things, just to be committed to reading and studying the Word of God, just to be committed to daily saying our Jesus prayer with our prayer rooms. Many of us have a prayer rule from our spiritual father or our father confessor to say a certain number of Jesus prayers each, each day. And yet how hard it is for us to even to fulfill such things. Do we always go to do communion when we can? Do we always go to liturgy when we can? Because these three things together are supposed to help us unite our minds to our hearts. Some people would say, well, we don't have time. We don't have time to read and pray and to go to church as often as we might. We just don't have time. But I'll bet if you looked at your life and if we all looked at each other's lives... 
we could argue that we do have the time, but what we don't have is the self-discipline. I'll say it again. We have things to do. Our spiritual work is to take our minds and unite them to our hearts. Instead, we spend our time dissipating ourselves in our heads. And we can't get out of our heads so much that we can't find our hearts. And yet, this is our work. And the work that will help us do this is the very thing that we, have, we know we should do. To read the scriptures. To say the Jesus prayer. And to receive the body and blood of Christ. The fathers of the church say we must add one more thing. Precisely because our self-discipline is insufficient. Our commander Zechariah says that self-discipline fails. And it fails to reveal the heart. The key, the next one, is obedience. This is the key. And if you could bear with me, I know I've gone on long, but... The royal way to the deep heart is that of obedience. And the greatest benefit we derive from obedience is the crucifixion of the mind, whereby we abandon all reliance on our fallen ways of thinking and putting all our trust in the Word of God and His commandments. It is through obedience that we can accomplish this. Our self-discipline is insufficient. But when we place ourselves in obedience, we have accountability. Who shall we obey? Well, if we recognize that these three things, reading the Word of God, praying the Jesus Prayer, and receiving His body and blood of Christ, are commandments of Christ, that we realize that when we do these, we are obeying Christ. So first and foremost, we offer our obedience to Christ. Secondly, we offer our obedience to the church. What is the church asking us to do? The church is asking us to come. To receive the body and blood of Christ. And in certain seasons, the church is asking us to fast. The church is asking us to give alms. The church is asking us to confess. These are things that we can obey. And if we recognize them as obediences, we are more likely to do them than if it's just on our to-do list that we've made up our minds to do. And thirdly, we can obey all of the other people that God has placed in our lives. Our wives, our husbands, our parents, our children. And if we can begin to obey, the Lord will send us opportunities for obedience. We don't have to look for them. By obedience, we sacrifice what is most precious to us. We sacrifice our self-will, and thus, what gives it its power is this sacrifice, because it makes us like Christ. In obedience, we are like Christ, who, in obedience to His Father, sacrificed Himself for us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not a a short-term deal. This is the work of our lives. And it is the most challenging work that we will ever do. To be able to take our minds and unite them to our hearts is a continual and dynamic process and can only help by God working in us. Our life has given us a lot to do. And our Lord has given us these other things to do to give everything else meaning in Him. 
And no matter where we are, no matter how divided we are, no no matter how undisciplined we are, no matter how close or how far we are to Christ in our ability to even pay attention to the liturgy, Christ reaches out to us and says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And if we reach out to Him, He will save us. Amen.